Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning in week number four of our series, Not a Fan. And I'm going to ask if you would please turn in your Bibles with me uh, to the Old Testament. We are going to be in the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. And before we begin um, to read, um, we've been in this series this last month or so, and in the very first week we saw that there was a very clear indication from Scripture that a choice had to be made, that we as those in churches, we as those who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ, we had a choice to make. The first choice that we had to make was to get off the fence. We had to choose either culture or we had to choose church, following God through the church. If you remember, Elijah asked the Israelite people, how long will you limp between two opinions? So straddle the fence. How long will you straddle the fence? Then in the second week, we saw the rich young ruler and how he followed all of the rules, but yet he did not leave with salvation. That he was the religious man who was still damned. And then last week, we looked at sanctification and how the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ had to be serious about sanctification. And I told you that we were going to break that up into two sections. And so today I want to cover the, the thought of sanctification again, and we will get there. But I want to talk to us about something that has to occur in our life before sanctification can even happen. Now, when I was a child, um, I'm the middle of five, for those of you who do not know. I've got four sisters, two older sisters and two younger sisters. My life was grand. <laughs> um, I will not tell you the things that my sisters did to me when I was a kid. Um, the things that they, they got me to put on uh, when my parents were gone. Um, but there was one thing that I remember very fondly um, from my childhood is... Um, when my mom and dad would go out on a date, my oldest sibling, her name is Destiny, and I can tell this story because she's not here. <laughs> so she, she used to play this game uh, with us when we were kids. And what she would do is Destiny would go and she would hide an object somewhere in our house uh, or outside on our property, and she would give us clues uh, to find that object. Uh, it was sort of like going on a treasure hunt. And whatever you found, whoever was the first person to get to that item or that, that object, whatever it was, was able to keep it. And so I remember this one time very specifically uh, that Destiny told us that she was going to hide a $10 bill. And I was probably the second grade. And I was like, to, to me, you know, as an eight or a nine-year-old kid, $10 was a lot of money. Like I could walk across the street and don't judge me for this, but we used, anyone ever, ever uh, eat those candy cigarettes that had the little Indian printed on the front of them? The, across the street at the gas station, they were like 50 cents a piece. And I was like, $10 would get me a lot of candy. 
Like a lot, a lot of candy. Not that my mom would ever let me eat that much at one time, but I would have tried. And so I wanted that $10. And I, I had, had resolved to be in a position that was better than my other siblings. I was going to be the fastest one. I was going to get to the clues first. I was going to figure it out. And I worked so hard to ensure that I got there first. And I did. In the end, after about a 30-minute long process of figuring out clues and running all over our yard and running through the house, I found this $10 bill up on top of our microwave in our kitchen underneath of a candle. And I was so excited that I had found the treasure. I was so excited that something that I valued so highly as a child, I sought diligently and I found it. Today I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that encourages us to do the same thing in the Word of God. It encourages us to find the hidden treasures of God's Word. Just like my siblings and I valued that treasure in the game, we as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, should be on a treasure hunt every day in the Word of God. And so I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2. Now, there's a lot here, so just bear with me as we read through this. The writer starts out here, whom is believed to be Solomon. And he starts out in verse number one, and he says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight. And raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and he is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. Verse number 10, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness and walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go with her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good and keep the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you 
right now, and we ask for your scriptures to be illuminated so brightly that our eyes could not miss it, that our hearts would gain wisdom and understanding like your word is talking about here, that we would go away understanding what has to occur in our life for us to be serious about sanctification. Holy Spirit, I ask of you now to sweep across this place, penetrate our hearts with your truth, that we would be so uncomfortable with where we are at. The only way for us to move forward is to move to and closer to you. God, I ask for a mighty work to be done in this place. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen and amen. Solomon cracks open a ton of information here in this single chapter alone, and he, he just rips it wide open. And though time will not permit for me to break down every single verse in this passage, there are some things that I want us to see here, things that are crucial to the work that the Holy Spirit does in our life from the moment of salvation until the moment of death. There are things that we must see and understand and know from Scripture. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is receiving God's Word leads to salvation. Receiving God's Word leads to salvation. If you look back with me at verse number one, I want you to see what he says here. He says, my son, if you receive my words, and then I want you to stop, if you receive my words. Do you know that before you can gain wisdom and knowledge and understanding and live to change life, you must receive the word of God? You must. You have to. What does God's words, though, say about our life? I believe the New Testament gives a very clear picture in the book of Romans about what our life looks like apart from God and with God. What happens there? And so there's going to be a bunch of verses that are going to hit the screen. Some of you, uh, those of you who have been in church for any length of time, will recognize these verses. These were the very first verses that I, I memorized as a child uh, to help me explain the gospel to somebody. Tell me, explain the gospel to somebody. And so the first one I want us to see is Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Meaning every single person in this room, every single person outside of here, any being that is brought to life is born a sinner. Everyone has sin. And because of that, we have fallen short of God's glory. Without getting too deep theologically into this, this was not the way that God wanted things to go. In the beginning, when God created the, the heavens and the earth, and when he created the creatures, when he created man in the Genesis account, God did not want for a separation to be occurred because of sin. That's why he placed Adam and Eve in a, in a place of perfection. The Garden of Eden was supposed to be heaven on earth, a place where there was a harmony between the creator and the, the creation. But because of sinful choices, because of sinful choices, all have sinned. Paul tells us also in the book of Romans that sin came from one man. That man was Adam. And though I do not have time to get into the entire creation account and what happened in the fall of man, we all have sinned. 
We all have done things that are displeasing to God. There is not one single person who is innocent. And so Romans gives us this very bleak outlook on life. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you get to a couple of chapters later and you come to Romans 6, 23, and it says, for the wages of that sin is death. Man, the one who sins deserves death. And I'm not talking about just a physical death here, okay? Because everyone's going to physically die at some point. But he was talking about a spiritual death, a separation from God for eternity, But the thing is, is that God in his grace did not stop at, for the wages of sin is death. He could have. He could have stopped the verse there, but he didn't. So a little English lesson here for you. When when he put the word but in there, that means that there was something else that was going to occur. Something that was going to happen after the death. And guess what? What does he say? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the gospel, people. What did I tell you a couple of weeks ago? The gospel summed up in four words, Jesus in my place. That's what happened here. But the gift of God is eternal life. The punishment that we earned and deserved was placed upon Jesus Christ for us. And then you go to another place in Romans, and it's Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And it says that God demonstrated his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you, while I, while everyone in this community, and everyone in this world, they, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. His death was the payment for our sin. It was the death that we deserved. And then Paul continues on here. He goes to the next section of Romans and we come to Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and it says if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you shall be saved. And you go just a few verses beyond that in that same chapter, and Paul says again, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The one who believes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you believe that and you confess that, it says you shall be saved. Meaning you you don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to be eternally separated anymore. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, the follower of God is secure in their salvation. I can tell you right now, me, as a follower of God, there's nothing that anybody can say or do to me that will get me to believe I'm not going to heaven when I die. And for those of you sitting in this room, if you say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, you should have surety of where you're going when you die. And it comes back to this very thought here in Scripture. Am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? And if I don't know the answer to that question, please speak to somebody before you leave this building. Don't walk away knowing, I don't know. That should not be the thought. Jesus died for the penalty of your sins and he rescued you and I from eternal damnation, from receiving the very wrath of God. 
It wasn't just to get us out of hell, people. This is not just to get out of hell free card. The end of the Bible is very clear that we will all stand before God one day and we will give an account for the way that we lived our lives. And if you're not one of Christ's children, you will receive the wrath of God. And I don't mean to scare you, but that's the reality of what our God teaches us through his word. That wrath will come for those who are not his And that's a very scary, scary place to be. Those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when you call, when you call on the name of the Lord, something occurs. Romans 5.1 tells us, that therefore, because we've been justified through Christ, we can now be at peace with God. Meaning that there is now a peaceable relationship between you and the Creator because of salvation, because of the shed blood of Christ. And then because of that, we then know in Romans 8.1, it says there is no condemnation for those who are in found, that are found in Christ Jesus. Meaning, you've been washed clean. You don't have to live with the shame and the guilt of your past anymore. You've been made new. Paul talks about that to the, the, the New Testament church, that any man who is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away, but yet the new has come. Salvation brings new life to us. And then in that new life, guess what happens? We're not called to just stay the same person that we were at the moment of salvation. We were called to be transformed and to change more into the image and likeness of Christ, which is why we're talking about sanctification. In order to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you must be sanctified. You must be set apart for holy use. So Solomon starts off this very chapter and the very first thing out of the gate he says is if you receive my words. We cannot be serious about sanctification until we've received salvation. Until we've received salvation. The second thing I want us to see here this morning is that working with the Spirit leads to sanctification. Working with the Spirit leads to sanctification. In order to be sanctified, our attitude towards Scripture must be changed. It must be. Our attitude and our actions change when our thinking has been saturated in biblical truth. Your thinking does not change about God's Word by watching secular TV shows and movies. It is not changed by listening to secular music. It's not changed by playing video games on your cell phones or going to concerts. No, your mind is changed only by truth. Only. I want you to look back with me at verse number 2. Solomon says, making your ear attentive to wisdom. 
inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, if you search for it as hidden treasure, what does it say occurs? Then you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Then. Look, people, Solomon is not sitting here telling you just go read your Bible. That's not what he said. He didn't say just go listen to the Bible app. That's not at all what Solomon was saying here. You cannot find anywhere in Scripture that says just read the Bible. That's not how it works. Solomon is sitting here and he's telling you wrap your heart around the Word of God. Dig tirelessly. Dig in. Listen with your ears. Cry out for understanding, meaning go to somebody who is wiser than you in the Word of God and seek help. He's talking about discipleship. And you're, you're talking over, over 3,000 years ago, they were already talking about discipleship. He's saying dig tirelessly, search persistently within the Word of God for your answers. This is not just let me open up God's Word and, and read, you know, John 10.31. Jesus wept. All right, I'm done for the day. Dig tirelessly. There's, there's a, a working that must occur. You can't submit to the Holy Spirit in your life until you know what God's Word says, and then you respond in obedience. The follower of Christ is serious about sanctification. I want you to look at the verse that's going to come to the screen. 1 Thessalonians 4. I want you to see what Paul says here. It's a verse that I've shown you guys in the past. And it says, Furthermore, then we beg you, brothers, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God. So would you, or so you would abound more and more, for you know what commandments we gave to you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Paul is telling the church here in this very, very moment of time that it is God's will for the believer to be sanctified, to follow in the very footsteps of Jesus Christ, meaning I am set apart from the world and living more and more like him every single day. And that's why Paul said in that verse that we should abound more and more because he's talking about looking more like Christ in his character. That's sanctification. That's what it looks like when, when we work with the Holy Spirit, when we walk with the Holy Spirit. There should be a passionate pleading within the life of a believer to know truth. There should be an intense desire to want to change and to grow and to be in fellowship with Christ. And look what it says. Go back with me to verse number five. It says, when you have that intense desire... When you do, when you, when you work with the Holy Spirit, it says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. And he is a shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. 
Look at verse number 9. And then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. Every good path. That's great, right? It's great that we would understand the fear of the Lord. Would you guys agree that that, that's good? It's a good thing? Understanding the fear. Would you agree that it's a good thing to find the knowledge of God? Would you agree that that we would be able to, to discern the good and the right path? Those are all good things, aren't they? Yes? But it doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up one morning and all of a sudden, all of a sudden I've obtained a fear of the Lord. And all of a sudden I found a knowledge of God. Listen, if, if that's how it worked, we would have no need to come to this building. We'd have no need to worship. We, we would have no need for discipleship or prayer. If one morning we just attained Christ, there, there would be no point in reading the Bible. There would have been no point for them to keep a record of anything that occurred if all of a sudden we just woke up one day and it was all good. Everything's all good. Everything's all grand. I'm, I'm the perfect Christian. I display every single one of the fruit of the Spirit in perfect essence together the way that Christ did. There'd be no point for us to do any of this. There'd be no point for me to stand before you and be preaching to you out of the very word of God. But it doesn't happen that way. Solomon is very clear, very, very clear. Incline your heart, dig tirelessly, search as though it's it's hidden treasure. But our culture, unfortunately, is in a place where we live in a fast food microwave mentality that's all self-serving, all of it. We live in this, this place that says, I want what I want and I want it right now. Like we're able to get on to the word of God.com like we can on Amazon and we just order the fruit of the spirit. We order fear of the Lord. We order understanding and then we want it to just be shipped to our house because we asked for it. But yet we have not allowed the word of God to saturate our very thinking because we complain after three days of reading God's word and nothing is different. But we haven't applied anything. We haven't inclined our heart to anything. We're just angry because we we thought that we should just open up to the Song of Solomon and it was all going to just fall into place for us. That's not what God's word says. In order to be serious about sanctification, we have to dig into the Word of God. We have to allow it to change us. We have to be obedient to the things that we're reading. This isn't just about knowing more about God's Word. Solomon said just a few chapters later that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is so he is Solomon knew what was going to come out of man if he dwelt on things that were ungodly go back and read about the end of Solomon's life Solomon was the wisest man in the bible outside of Jesus Christ and at the end of his life he was removed from being the king. After he was anointed and placed there, he was removed because his thousand wives and concubines got him to worship false idols. The wisest man in the Bible worshiped false idols. 
And he's telling you, he's telling you right here what you have to do so that you don't fall into that boat. Search, dig, listen, cry out, seek. Do you know how easy it is to be tainted by our world? Do you know how easy it is to be sucked in by the culture? Do you know how easy it is just to say, it's only one time. It's not that bad. I'm not as bad as that person over there. At least I don't do that. Do you know how Satan tempted Adam and Eve? Do you know what he did? He got them to question the very word of God. Did God really say that? Are you sure? Temptations are tailor-made for us. James tells us that. That my temptations, your temptations, they're tailor-made just for you and I. Sanctification occurs in your life when we are obedient to the Word of God. When we're obedient to the Word of God, then we're walking in step with the Spirit. That doesn't mean you're not going to sin. What did I tell you a couple weeks ago? The Christian life is not about being sinless. It's about sinning less. It's about sinning less. If we receive, if we receive the Word of God, if we apply it, then we will do the things that are right in God's eyes. And I believe that's what the psalmist knew and understand and are understood when he said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. He knew what it meant. The heart was the very place that the word of God needed to be placed. And he knew, I will need to seek truth and apply it in order to be different, in order to be changed, in order to be sanctified. But there's a struggle here, right? In the life of a believer. Any, any believers in here ever found themselves to still struggle being obedient to the Word of God? Every hand better be up in this room. Okay, and if your hand didn't come up, please come and talk to me because I want to know what you've done. If you walk away from this room today, there's one thing that I want you to not miss. Believer, follower of Jesus Christ, do not miss this, okay? Please, write it down, highlight it, write it all over your Bible, put it on your forehead, do something to not forget it. But please know that sanctification is not about perfection, it's about persistence. It's about persistence, God did not call you to be perfect. He called you to look more and more like Christ. In order to do that, we must persist in the word of God. 
Persistence says that I know I need to continue seeking truth. Persistence says I know I need to, uh, to apply truth, continuously needing to apply truth. Persistence says I know I need to read my Bible and continue to do so. Persistence says I know I need to keep praying. Persistence says to us I need discipleship. I need accountability. I need someone in my life who's going to push me closer to Christ. And as we study the word of God, and as we believe it, and as we apply it to our hearts, and we walk according to it in step with the Spirit, then God, by his grace, will sanctify you, and he is faithful in doing so. Faithful. And as that sanctification occurs, that process happens in your life, you are then set apart further and further away from this world to be used by a holy creator. That doesn't mean you don't have friends who are non-believers. That just means that your life looks radically different. That means that you don't do the things that you used to do. That means you don't go to the same places that you used to go. That means you don't talk the same way. That means that people know that there was a radical transformation in my life. And they can see, they can see in your life, in your walk, Something's different about you, and I want to know what it is. You want to know why? Because every single person that was created longs to worship their creator. They long. That's why people question. That's why people wrestle. That's why people struggle. That's why they try to fill that God-sized hole in their life with things that will never, ever, ever work because they were never meant to. The end, the end of this book tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord. I pray for the souls in this room that you're a part of the Lamb's book of life when that occurs. That you have a new name written down in glory like we used to sing when I was a kid. And it's mine, secure, Secure in salvation. I keep bringing this verse up in this series because I believe Paul was very, 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 very clear in what he said. In Romans 12, 2, he said, Be not conformed. To this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to judge in one version, that you may be able to understand, to know what is the perfect and good and acceptable will of God. Renewed. Renewed in your mind. Paul is telling us that we have to stay connected to the source of learning the source of understanding, the source of truth. So people, I need you to look right up here real quick. I'm going to say something, and some of you may get offended by this, and that's okay. You need to learn to feed yourself. I'm being serious. You need to learn to feed yourself. I'm not talking about going home and picking up your fork, okay? 
I'm talking about you need to learn to dig into the Word of God. This should not be the only place that you come and listen to the Word of God and then you go from here and not read it and not listen to it and not understand it except for here. You will never ever grow in your walk with the Lord if this is the only place in which you connect with God. You will not be prepared in this place to worship or to receive if you have not been doing those things outside of these four walls. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that means you are serious about sanctification. And when you are serious about sanctification, you seek the word of God for change. I don't want to be who I used to be anymore. I don't want to do those things This here says to us that we are to incline our heart to understanding. Inclining implies, implies to us that there is an effort that must happen. We cannot sit still. Our heart must be applied to understanding. And it does not happen by accident. It does not. Wisdom discernment, understanding must be sought out as treasure, just like I talked to you guys about earlier. Just like I wanted that $10 bill. I was seeking hard after it. And when you seek, verse 5, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Why? Because the Lord gives wisdom and from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding I want you guys to know that the words of God's mouth are contained right here the words of God's mouth are contained right here in scripture John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, the Word, the Word. When I find myself in a season where I am seeking the Lord every chance that I get, every moment, and I'm not talking about seeking the Lord to find out what I should say on Sunday. Or th- but I mean when I'm seeking the Lord every opportunity I get for my own well-being, I find that my cup is filled. Would you guys agree with that? I find that I walk around in peace all the time. I find that I am steadfast, that I am anchored to the very word of God and there is not a thing in this life that can catch me off guard both emotionally or spiritually or mentally when I'm anchored to the word of God. I find that. And it's wild to me the impact of how, how much spending time with God affects everything else in my life. It's wild. It blows my mind. And then if a few days go by, if a few days, a few moments 
go by and I try to do life on my own, when I don't approach the throne, when I don't do it, I find that it's so painfully apparent, painfully apparent, that I haven't done so. And you can see it in the way that I talk. You can see it in the way that I feel. You can see it in the way that I react and the way that I respond. It's painfully apparent. Does anyone else resonate with that in this room? Do you know that God never wanted it that way? Never. God designed us to be in relationship with him. He wanted to be connected to us. He didn't even want us to be able to skate by on our own. Never. That was, that's not how, how he created. That's not what he wanted. There may be some people who hear statements like that and think that's a little selfish, don't you think? That God just wants to hog all of your attention and your time for himself? And I would argue that it's not selfish, it's beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful relationship. Some of the greatest times in my life is when I found myself basking in the very presence of the Lord. Anchored to his word. And when that happens, I almost feel invincible to the havocs of life. Almost completely invincible. Like I said at the very beginning, like I'm charging hell with a squirt gun, like I don't even care. Nothing is going to touch me because the Lord is with me. Nothing is going to stand in my way. Nothing will come against me. Why? Because Jesus is on my side. That's how I feel when I've spent time with the Lord, as much time as possible. But that's what Paul was saying. In order to be renewed in him every day, guess what happens? But you experience divine encounters when you sit with the Lord. It's amazing. It's so good. Why were we singing the song that we were earlier? I want to sit at your feet. I want to drink from the cup in your hand. I want to be in your presence. You guys know the story of Mary and Martha? Martha was so upset and so angry that Jesus was in her house and her sister just sat there. And she was running around trying to clean and cook. And she says, Jesus, aren't you going to tell Mary to get up and help me? And what did Jesus say? No, because Mary's doing the needful thing. She's doing the needful thing. She's sitting at my feet. She's listening. I want you guys to, to imagine something with me. As a believer in Jesus Christ, this is something that, that has happened to you. Something that is continuing to happen to you. 
For those of you who have, who have said, I no longer want to be the Lord of my life. God, I need you to rescue, to save me. Something so amazing has occurred. I want you to imagine yourself at the foot of the cross. And it's empty. Jesus is not there. He already went to the grave. He rose already. But I'm sitting at the foot of the cross and I'm telling, I'm, I'm, I'm crying out to, to God, I need you to rescue me. I need you to change me. And you're there. You're at the foot of the cross. And guess what happens from the moment of salvation? Transformation. You're being transformed. That's what sanctification does to you. You're being transformed in, into to something that, that's new, something that's fresh, something that God wanted you to be. He's wiping away all of the shame, all of the guilt of your past life. Now I want you to imagine something else with me. That you were standing there at that cross and Jesus came and stood next to you. And he said, son, daughter, child, teenager, senior saint. Jesus is standing in front of you. Imagine for just a moment. And he takes a crown and he places it upon your head. Jesus placed a crown upon your head. You've become royalty. You've become co-heirs of heaven. The greatest kingdom. The greatest kingdom. The place of perfection. The place that Revelation tells us that there will be no more tears. And no more sorrow. And no more dying. And all the former things will pass away. And it says that he that sat upon the throne will say, Behold, I make all things new. And then he says, Write unto them all of these words. Why? Because they're faithful and because they're true. You, a believer, the one who believed in their heart and confessed at their mouth that Jesus was Lord, you have been crowned. There's no more I have to walk in shame. There is no more I have to walk in guilt. There is no more that I have to be who I used to be. There is no more of I have to live this certain way because that's, that's what people have said. You get to walk in newness of life. Colossians 3 tells us, Romans tells us that, listen, from the moment of salvation, it says that we were buried with him in baptism and that we were raised to walk in newness of life. That's why we, we fully immerse people under the water in baptism because it's supposed to represent what you have in Christ. That's why when I baptize people, I tell them, you were buried with him in baptism and you're raised to walk in newness of life. That's, what, that's why we do that. No, it didn't save them, but they wanted to publicly say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I have new life 
because that's what you have and yet people choose not to walk in that and that's the saddest thing. I have found myself in that place so many times. But God's word brings salvation. God's word brings sanctification. I want us to see this last thing though because for the life of the believer, this is something that that you need not forget but that God's word protects from sin. God's word protects from sin. Solomon says here in verse number 10, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. Delivering you from the way of evil. Solomon is saying to us that something happens when we walk with God. Something occurs. He says that that it will, his word will be pleasant to your soul. The more wisdom that we learn, the more we desire wisdom. The more wisdom that we learn, the more we will desire wisdom. Wisdom protects us. It keeps us. It helps us to make decisions that will not later bring you regret. When we delight in God's word and we meditate on it, though, we're waging war with sin. When we meditate on the word of God, we wage war with our sinfulness. For those of you in here this morning, please remember that every sin will whisper a lie and it will make a promise that it cannot keep. Every sin will whisper a lie and it will make a promise that it cannot keep. By listening to the word of God and knowing him with fear, with affection, we're prepared to prove that sin is untrustworthy. And if it's untrustworthy, then it should not be enticing. It should not. We should not be enticed by sin if we're following the Lord. The moment of temptation for us, there are two voices that will vie for your heart. That is the voice of the Lord or the voice of your flesh. I think Paul spoke best to this in Romans chapter 7 when he says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do and yet I don't do the things I know I should Anyone ever find themselves in that place? I do the things that I hate. Anyone? Paul goes on to say that there is a warring within his members. And many people argue in that passage of Scripture about whether or not Paul is truly saved. You can go back to read in the book of Acts three separate accounts about the conversion of Paul. Paul is a believer when he's saying that I do the things that I hate and I don't want to do them anymore. He's telling us the very thing about the problem with us as believers and how we war. He's saying I have a warring within my members and he's saying my new nature and my old nature are conflicting. Why? Because they will never be reconcilable. Our old self will never ever be able to walk with the Lord. 
And Paul is saying, he's saying there's this warring that is occurring. But then he goes on to say to us as believers, don't use your members as instruments of unrighteousness. And that word instruments there that he uses in the Greek means weapons. It's not like a hammer or a screwdriver. No, it's a weapon. It's like a sword or a gun. He's saying don't use your members, your body, your mind, your hand, your feet, your eyes, your ears. Don't use them as weapons against the Lord. And it all comes back down to where is my mind being renewed? If we speak the gospel to ourselves every single day, we are waging war with our flesh. We are waging war with our sinfulness. And guess what? When we value the word of God, we will ask ourselves, does this thing, does this movie, does this person, does this website, does this cell phone, is this waging war against God? And if it is a weapon against God, then don't do it. Say no. Tell yourself out loud if you have to. No, I will not do this. There's something that we talk about in biblical counseling called radical amputation. That means the thing that you're struggling with, destroy it. Get it away. Do something radical so that it's not a part of your life anymore. If you struggle with alcohol, get it out of your house. Don't go to bars. Don't be around people who drink. If you struggle with porn, get rid of your computer. Get an accountability on your phone so people can see what you're looking at. Do something radical and then go back to the word of God and be renewed in your mind so you can prove what the good and perfect and acceptable will of God is. That way you're able to say, is this a weapon against the Lord? Is this a weapon? You want to know what the sad part The sad part is, is that the Word of God is there. The Word of God is present for us. Not not just in the moment of temptation, but in the many moments that lead to that temptation. The Word of God is there. And the sad reality is that people think to go to their Bibles after they've done something wrong. Oh, I made the mistake, I better read. As almost as if I'm giving some sort of penance. We have not fought and been obedient to the word of the Lord. And we make the mistake. We fall. Proverbs 2 here all throughout Scripture, but here specifically, teaches us that we are to open up our Bible days, weeks, months, and even years before the temptation even occurs. The fight in our lives begins by drawing battle lines with our flesh every single morning, and we do so with the Word of God. We do so. We draw those lines saying, I will not cross. This is what God wants. I was actually having a conversation with somebody this week, and I said the sad thing is is that people don't see the freedom in boundaries. There is freedom in boundaries. Boundaries. 
Proverbs 2 lays out a spiritual sequence for our war. Solomon tells us to read the Bible until we love to read and obey. It says, then you will know and fear God deep within your heart so that you will be delivered from sin and temptation. Sin is most enticing when God's word has lost its sweetness to our ears. And unless we listen attentively, unless we search it persistently and we cry out over it desperately and we dig into it tenaciously and read it relentlessly, the word of God will never ever be sweet enough. So, believer, where are you at this morning with the Word of God? Let me go back and ask you a question I asked you on week one of this series. What's your altar look like? What's your altar look like for the last 30 days? There was a great man of faith by the name of John Wesley. And in his home, there was a section of his floor that had been worn down because his knees sat there as he prayed day after day after day. It was worn into the floor. Does your altar look like John Wesley's? There was a, a young college student who got to visit the home of John Wesley. And he was so moved by what he had seen that when all of his classmates walked away, he got to that one spot on the floor and he knelt in those, those holes that were worn and he cried out to God, make me a man of prayer like this. And that man was Billy Graham. one of the greatest theologians, evangelists, and preachers of our time. So I want to leave you with this question. How does your altar look? Are you ready to fight? Are you ready to fight your flesh with the Word of God? Are you prepared? Are you ready to go? Because those of you who have cried out to the Lord are made new and we can walk in our newness of life by preaching the gospel to ourselves, by walking with the Spirit and by being bringers of hope and light to our community. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you today and we just thank you for this truth of your word. I just ask of you now to help us to reflect upon the truth in your word. God, I ask for those in this room 
for those in this room, Lord, who, who are not believers, God, that they would seek help, that they would seek understanding from those who can point them closer to you. For those in this room who are warring and, and waging battle with their old nature, God, I pray that they would seek discipleship and accountability, that they would learn how to dig into your word and apply it. And for those who are in this room who may be saying, I feel like my walk is in a good place, Lord, then God, I pray that you would impress upon them through the work of the Holy Spirit to, to rally around someone, to come alongside of them, to be, to be an encourager, a Barnabas, or a Paul to a Timothy. And God, I just ask and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, before you guys get up, we have something very special that we would like to do this morning. So I'm going to invite the, the graduates that we have. So there are three graduates from this year. I'm going to ask if you guys would come and just sit uh, in these three open seats. Actually, we'll, just, we'll have you sit right over here in this empty row. Um, that would be you, Kaylee and Noah. All right. And so typically, um, for me, 